0: This is the Dan Grossa Show on 98.7 ESPN. Dan Grasa Show, 98.7 ESPN. Remember, you can get me on Twitter at Dan Grossa G-R-A-C-A. Uh, before we get into the Watson stuff, big time, big time. Missed opportunity for the Mets in that top of the third inning. They had first and third. Nobody out. Nobody at all. Not a soul. Nemo strikeout. Marte. Nothing. And then another strikeout to end the rally. So the Mets can't get anything across against Max Freed in that third inning when they had a golden opportunity to see if they could give Jacob DeGrom a little bit of a cushion. Remember, Max Scherzer had a 4 nothing cushion to work with before you were even in your seat last night. But to no avail. I mean, really, are we surprised by this? I mean, isn't this what happens when Jacob DeGrom pitches? The Mets don't score any runs for him. And it's up to him to keep the other team off the scoreboard. It's the same darn routine time and time and time again. Anyway, let's get on to more pleasant topics. Oh, yeah, Deshaun Watson. Kidding. Finally over with. I mean, are you as sick and tired of hearing about Deshaun Watson as I am or have been for the last I don't know how many months? When was he traded over to the Cleveland Browns? What was that, in March? Somewhere around there? And for the last... Five, six months, that's all we've been hearing about. When is he going to be suspended? Will he be suspended? How many games will he be suspended? The judge finally rules a few weeks ago, you got six games. But you knew the fight wasn't over there. You knew that that wasn't going to be the end, right? So now they got him 11 games and a $5 million fine based on the settlement. He's got the money. He can afford it. It'll all go to a good cause, charitable endeavors, and he's going to have to seek counseling as well, undergo sessions, try to become a better person, learn from the mistakes that he's made, certainly over the last couple of years. And I'm all for that. But the question that I have in this whole predicament, and I don't think you're ever going to get a straight answer, let's be real. How much money did the National Football League the Players Association, all of the entities involved. How much ridiculous money did they waste on lawyers and on legal fees during this whole ordeal? And especially now trying to decide, like, what the appeal was going to be. You know, so the NFL could get their pound of flesh. Because I don't know about you, and I don't know what they paid these people. I'm sure they paid them a pretty penny. I could have settled this whole thing in five minutes. And I would have did it for a fraction of the cost. It's really that simple and that easy. The, the, check it out. All right? The NFL wanted a full year. That was no secret. They wanted Watson gone for a full season. See ya. We'll talk to you again in 2023. The judge, Sue Robinson, gave him six games. So think about this. Full year, six. How many games is a full season? Seventeen. Less six games, which was the original punishment, equals 11. Half of 11 is five and a half. If you add that five and a half to the original six-game suspension, and you round down at least a half, you get 11. And that is what he ends up getting saddled with here for the punishment. 11 games. See how easy that was? See how easy that was. We just did third grade math, boys and girls. And it took the NFL and the Players Association and all these lawyers who are probably making like millions of dollars. It took them weeks and back and forths and Zoom sessions and meetings and lunches and proposals and all those things. And we just solved the conclusion there in five minutes. That's why you come to this show. You come to this show for answers. That's what we do for you. But are you satisfied by that? Are you satisfied by the 11 games? Do you think that that sends a stern enough message, not even to the people like Deshaun Watson, but to other folks around the National Football League and other players that if they partake in behavior which is less than commendable, I'll put it that way, that they are going to indeed throw the book at you. And you are going to have to face the consequences, right? That's what they're hoping to achieve here. Now, do you think that they got that message delivered with 11 games? I'm not so sure. I'm really and truly not so sure on that one. Because the NFL, if they had their way, he was getting 17 games. And he didn't get that. And oh, by the way, he still signed the contract for $230 million. Every last cent of it is guaranteed. Every last sentiment so remember something his first game back his first game back is going to be in week 13 on the road no less against the houston texans his old stomping grounds and i tweeted this out earlier today too you can't accuse the nfl you can, you can accuse them of a lot of things you can't accuse the nfl of not having a sense of humor right because you don't think they looked at that schedule and said to themselves hmm texans november the 28th bye week happens already wouldn't that be something they might even flex that game to prime time that might be the sunday night NBC special and the texans are garbage but just to get deshaun watson back into that city back into that building to see how he's greeted by the crowd that might be must not might be it will be must see tv And the NFL is probably going to look to capitalize on it for a ratings bonanza. And the Browns also came out today and said he's not playing anymore in the preseason. Remember, he played in the first preseason game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, which, look, guys that get suspended, they play in the preseason. They don't find any fault with that because the suspension doesn't start until the regular season begins, so they might as well give these guys as much work as possible because then they're going to get rusty. So he played in that first game, but now the Browns came out and said he's not playing anymore. That's over with. But the thing that I'm trying to wrap my mind around, right, is that the statement that the team put out after the settlement was recorded, it kind of contradicts the comments that Deshaun Watson had previously made to the media. Because the statement says one thing. But when Deshaun had a chance to speak again today, again, he just doesn't seem like someone that is overly remorseful. And how long did it take for him to even go on camera and even issue that mea culpa when he did it to the Browns team reporter, whatever, just a couple of days ago before that first preseason game? Because that was like the team-sponsored outlet? Did he feel like it was a safe place? Did he need to feel that he needed a safe haven to be able to judge right from wrong? You know, and far too often when you see guys get in trouble, you wonder, you know, even when they do issue an apology, is it something that's genuine? Is it something that's sincere? Or is it something that, you know, I'm sorry because I got caught sorry? And Watson has been very inconsistent with all of the messages that he's trying to send since this whole thing went down. Because at the end of the day, imagine the type of punishment you get if somebody puts $230 million in front of you. Right? You're not getting hit very hard in the wallet, especially with this $5 million fine or whatever it is, when you have $230 million in guaranteed money. And remember something. Remember. Some people always want to point to what happened last year in Houston and that he didn't play. He got paid not to play last year. And it had nothing to do with discipline or punishment. He didn't play. Remember, before all this stuff came to light, he didn't play for the Texans because he didn't want to be there anymore because the organization was in disarray. He was the one that said first, I don't want to be here anymore. And the Texans couldn't find a suitable trade partner because then all these stories came out about all these women. And so basically they put him on the sidelines, they put him out of sight, out of mind, and they basically said, all right, just go keep busy, we're going to pay you anyway, and you're not going to be suspended. And the league didn't intervene. They didn't even put him on that you know Fugazi commissioner's exempt list or anything like that and because his base salary was converted to just basically a little over uh, 1 million dollars he's only losing about 600 grand for this 11 game suspension when you got 230 mil coming to you 600 grand is nothing it's nothing something had to be done here and i don't know if the nfl is necessarily going to take a victory lap in this one, right? I don't know if they're going to sit there and actually think that they won. Because I don't know if they feel that they had victory. They won it a year. They got 11 games. And it still, like, goes back and, you know, you check precedent. Why are these type of infractions, infractions against women and females, Why aren't they dealt with a little bit more seriously by the NFL? And this goes all the way back to when they had that rash of domestic violence episodes, which really tarnished the image of the league. I mean, you remember those days like, you know, when the whole Ray Rice thing was happening and then the Greg Hardy. I mean, that was like the NFL was essentially the lead news on every sort of news program there was. Not just Sports Center, not just sports-type programs. Every single, whether it was Good Morning America, the Today Show, the Nightly News, whatever. The NFL was the lead story for like a week straight because they kept stubbing their toe every single chance they got. And it was almost like they were not almost. They were definitely lying through their teeth because they didn't have a policy in place. They didn't know what they were doing. They were just hoping for the best. They were hoping it would go away. Remember, Ray Rice got two games. Two games. And then, oh, by the way, the video came out. And then, oh, now we got to do something. Now we got to fix this. Now we got to right it wrong. And this time again, you can't really be surprised that we arrived at this outcome. You really can't. 800-919-3776. That's the telephone number. Curious to get your take on this. We'll hear a little bit more from Deshaun Watson We'll also hear from a couple folks who are covering this story as to how everything went down. And more importantly, if you want to bring it back to the football field, what do the Browns do from here? Are you really prepared to ride into the season and let Jacoby Brissett pilot the ship for 11 games for a team that has postseason aspirations and thinks they have a pretty good roster? We'll get into all that stuff coming up next. Dan Grasso with you. It's the Grasso Show right here on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Breaking news while we were in commercial. We actually got confirmation that Jacob DeGrom is human. He's actually human. He gave up a couple of runs to the Atlanta Braves. A couple of base hits in that third inning. So the Bravos have a 2-0 lead on the Mets in the top of the fourth. And we talked about it. You know, Mets had a golden opportunity in their half of the inning. First two men on, nobody out. They don't score, and Degrom has a little bit of a blip. Gets touched up for two runs, and now the Mets have to play come from behind and just not support number 48 with any offense when he toes the rubber. Yankees got a couple back against Toronto. It's 5-2 in the fourth inning. So uh, still plenty of time to chip away at that deficit. We'll see if they can uh, get it done. We're talking about Watson. And the settlement, the agreement that came down today between the NFL, the Players Association, he's going to miss 11 games, find $5 million. Uh, let's hear a little bit more from Deshaun on the prospect now of missing 11 games with his brand-new team.
1: I mean, it's a tough situation, but at the end of the day, I have to continue to make sure that I'm around as much as possible as I can be. I mean, just continue to put in the work and let, let support the guys that's around and support this team. You know, I know these guys are going to do very, very well. We're all professionals. we all here for to do a job and to accomplish a goal, and that's win games. And I know the guys in that locker room are going to do that.
0: And I mentioned a little while ago how there certainly is a little bit of a contrast Between the message that the team is sending out in these written statements and what's coming out of Deshaun Watson's mouth personally and every time that he speaks, you know, and I and I just don't get the sense, you know, for the most part, he hasn't been as contrite as maybe you would like to see. It's almost as if he feels he didn't do anything wrong. So he was asked again today, do you still believe that you were not in the wrong here?
1: Yeah, I'm moving, I'm moving on with my career and my life, and I'm continuing to stand on my innocence. Just because, you know, settlements and things like that happen doesn't mean that a person is guilty for anything. I feel like a person has the opportunity to stand on his innocence and prove that, and we prove that on the legal side, and we're just going to continue to push forward as an individual and as a person.
0: Well, how much longer is this going to take? Not for nothing. I, I mean, you would have thought that there would be ample opportunity to tell your side of the story. I mean, th- he met with these investigators, didn't he? And he has lawyers and, you know, Rusty Harden was his guy who was, um, you know, representing him. I'm surprised we haven't had any more sort of, you know, concrete message coming from the Watson camp then. Like, what is he waiting for a book deal? Right. Are they going to do a Netflix documentary like Manti Teo, you know, 10, 15 years down the road and get paid a boatload of money for that? Like he needs any more money? Just got two hundred thirty million dollars guaranteed. So now what do the Browns do from here? What's next for Cleveland? Because they got a pretty good roster from top to bottom. I mean, the Browns are a good football team. They've got some pieces, and they had plans to contend this year. That's why they went out there and traded all those draft choices to Houston and then gave Watson the contract that they ended up giving him. So now they're not going to have him, so what is the plan? First, let's get the Browns' reaction to this Watson settlement. This is Jake Trotter, NFL reporter, talking to Sports Center. Relief. I mean, this has been hanging over the franchise for months and really throughout training camp, and not just front office people, but players. You talk to players, and they were ready for this to be over with. Coaches were ready for this to be over with. Obviously, they would like to have Deshaun Watson on the field for an entire season because he makes their team better, but at least they know what they have to go with going forward because uncertainty has enveloped
1: this team for weeks and months now. So it's going to be Jacoby Brissett. I wouldn't be surprised if the
0: Browns had some conversations about some other quarterback options right now that we know Deshaun Watson's going to be out for 11 games. Jimmy Garoppolo would be the name to watch. But I can also tell you that they have been impressed with what they've seen from Brissett so far in training camp. Stefanski told me the other day he'd be very comfortable going with Brissett for an entire season. And right now, I think that is the plan, although I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were more conversations about the different options now that the Browns know. They would be foolish to go into the season with this current crop of QBs that they have on their roster expecting that they're going to get the same results that they forecasted when they got to Sean Watson. It would be organizational malpractice. You're going to go into the season or at least the first 11 games and play 11 of the 17 games with Jacoby Brissett, Josh Rosen, Josh Dobbs, and whoever they sign off the street, and you think that's going to get it done? I mean, I don't know what their goal is. Do they think that, all right, let's just tread water, let's win maybe five, six games be a 500-ish team, and then Watson comes back, and then we're going to be onward and upward the rest of the season. Like, well, you don't really give yourself much margin for error at that point, do you? Nothing against Jacoby Brissett. I wouldn't feel too confident. Now, the Browns have confidence in their roster. I mean, it is a pretty good group. I mean, top to bottom, you've got a lot of talent on that team. I mean, look at the weapons you have just on offense for whoever the quarterback is going to be. You know, they went out and made the Amari Cooper trade. Let's not forget. You got Peoples-Jones. David Bell, the kid from Purdue they drafted in the third round. I like him a lot. A lot. David Njoku with tight end, they paid him about $8 gazillion to keep him around. You know, they got that backfield with Chubb and Hunt. I mean, they could run the football. They got a quality offensive line. The pieces are in place for a quarterback to go out there and have success. But is Jacoby Brissett really the guy? You know, isn't that sample size maybe not as much as you would like it to be? I'd like to see a little bit more. But you have Jimmy Garoppolo out there. And Jimmy Garoppolo is a guy, like, we talk about him a lot. Like, he is a guy that, for some reason, doesn't have a whole lot of believers. Doesn't have a whole lot of people that have faith in him. And why is that? Why? Because he's, like, not perfect? Because he doesn't have, like, the skill set of some of these other quarterbacks? Is that why? You know what he does have, though? Well, more importantly, the Browns have something that would accommodate Jimmy Garoppolo called cap space. They would be able to fit him in onto their roster. He's a free agent at the end of the year. It's the last year of his deal. The Cleveland supporting cast is good enough. Now, look, I don't know what San Francisco would want. They're turning the reins over to Trey Lance. Garoppolo doesn't factor in. They basically know that his future is someplace else. Garoppolo knows his future is someplace else. And I do think ultimately he's going to get moved. The only thing that's holding it back right now is that he had shoulder surgery. And I'm sure the teams want at least a little bit more certainty knowing that, okay, this guy's going to be healthy enough to play and to compete which obviously would be nice. I mean, who trades for a guy that's an injured player other than the Yankees with Harrison Bader? You're not going to do that, especially for a quarterback. You know what numbers matter to me when talking about Jimmy Garoppolo? You know what really is something that I'm fond of? 33 and 14. Those are the two numbers that I point to more than anything else. You know what that is? That's his career record as a starting quarterback in the National Football League. 33 up, 14 down. A guy who's won three quarters of the games that he has started in the NFL, and you're going to sit here and tell me that Jacoby Brissett would be a better option? I mean, guys, all we have to do is go back to Friday night. Friday night here. Remember when Zach Wilson got hurt in that game at Philadelphia? Everybody who's everybody, all the Twitter MDs out there, had Zach Wilson gone for the season. Gone. ACL. He's finished. Wasted year. Jets better get on the phone with Garoppolo. He's familiar with the system. Lafleur knows him. Perfect fit. Until Zach Wilson wasn't out for the year and twitter was wrong shocking right that twitter would actually be wrong on something like that never happens never but in this case if i'm running the browns and i know i gave up a lot of draft picks already to get watson and i know that he's coming back but you're really going to punt away 11 games 11 games this isn't one or two hell it wasn't even six i would have i i i i i would have been okay you know what i i i understood it If you were going to play Brissett for the six games, which the original punishment was, but 11, no chance. Pick up the phone, make the deal. Make the deal. You want to see this thing through? Bring in a guy who's a winner. I told you, I've spoken to players, teammates of his. They can't say enough good things about him. The way he commands the huddle, leadership is the word that they kept throwing around. Browns could use some. Because to be quite honest with you, they've been like a revolving door. Quarterbacks, coaches, general managers, don't matter. They need some stability there. And I know that Jimmy's only going to be there probably for one year. But while he's there, you might as well try to win some football games while you're at it. 800 919 Jets are going to benefit at least in week number two because they get the Browns in Cleveland. First road game for them. Will Zach Wilson be back for that game? Who knows? When is Zach Wilson coming back? Right, that's a good question. When is Zach Wilson coming back? He actually made it back to Florham Park. He's back at the facility. But Robert Sala was talking about his young quarterback earlier today. We'll talk about the Jet QB situation. And, yeah, oh, by the way, now the Giants have some quarterback questions that need to be answered, and Brian Dayball is having to answer them. We'll get into the football locals when we return. It's Dan Grasa with you. The Dan Grasa Show. 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Zach is back. We're not playing, but he's back. Had the surgery out in L.A. He's back in Jersey. Facility. Rehab. Working out. All right, so let's look ahead here for a second. Today's the 18th of August. You got roughly two more weeks left in this month. Opening day is September the 11th. So, you're talking about a little over three weeks. Opening day is three weeks from this upcoming Sunday. Guys, I don't see a way that he's ready. I, I just don't. I don't see a feasible solution that would include Zach Wilson running out of that tunnel and into the huddle as the Jets' starting quarterback against the Baltimore Ravens. I can't see. I'll tell you why. Look at um, that week. Sunday's the 11th, 10th, nine, eight. Okay. Wednesday is September 7th of game week. That's practice day. You know, coaches, they love practice. They love, they got, especially the quarterback, and especially a young quarterback like Zach Wilson, right? He needs all the reps he can get, needs all the practice he can get because he's still a developing player. He's lacking in experience. So Wednesday, September the 7th is really like the day that you're going to circle on the Zach Wilson timeline for week one. It's not game day, Sunday the 11th. It's Wednesday the 7th. if he ain't practicing, he ain't playing. You know, this isn't Aaron Rodgers who could play without practicing and Patrick Mahomes who could play without practicing, Tom Brady, all those guys who have seen it all, done it all. This a guy who's in his second year. And coming off of a rookie season that, A, was not complete, and, B, you saw some hiccups. So if we shrink that timeline a little bit, now we're talking about less than three weeks. Two- to four-week timeline originally? Guys, if you're going to the game in week one, if you're trekking out to MetLife Stadium, I would probably say fair bet bring those Joe Flacco jerseys. That's just me. I don't have any concrete information, but the way I see it, and if you want to just attack it realistically, Joe Flacco's going to be under center against the Baltimore Ravens come week one. Who's going to be the quarterback week number two? Well, that's a different story. I think Wilson's best chance to play would be in that second game, but they might be ultra conservative and ultra careful and decide we're not even going to play him maybe even until the third week make sure he's a thousand percent healthy think of how much time he missed last year and that was with a non-surgical issue he's already gone under the knife robert salad was asked today how much does the offense change does the offense change at all when you turn it over from zach wilson to joe flacco
1: zach's capable of doing everything that, that joe does and uh obviously zach's younger he's uh, no offense to Joe. He's a little more spry in the legs, so he can kind of run and scramble a little, with a little bit more efficiency, but that doesn't mean that Joe can't move. Um, so it's, it doesn't – having Joe in there doesn't limit anything that we, that we can do with Zach.
0: I agree. I think it all comes down to how the game is called by Mike LaFleur. You know – It's one thing to say that you're going to operate and utilize the entire playbook because Joe Flacco's experienced and he's been around the league forever and he knows the defenses and, you know, that he's trying to diagnose and so on and so forth. But think about it. If you call plays that feature a moving pocket, okay, that's tailored to Zach Wilson, not Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco's not mobile. You're not moving the pocket. You're not rolling Joe Flacco out as much as you would with Zach Wilson. Joe Flacco's game is basically like drop back, scan the field, Get the ball to a receiver. You know, use that arm strength. Use that experience. Diagnose what the defense is giving you. Try to pick up what tricks and what coverages they're disguising. Things that maybe if you're a defense, you're able to get away with against a young quarterback like Wilson, but not a guy like Joe Flacco. I still think you err on the side of caution. It's a long, 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 long season. Long season. And I said it the other day, I think you're looking probably at Game three, before you see Zach Wilson, realistically. Now, that's the Jets' side of things. 800-919-3776. As far as the Giants are concerned, you know, there's this, like, I don't know if you want to say controversy, but there's this mini little kind of firestorm which is maybe starting to emanate from East Rutherford. Why? Because there's this talk that Tyrod Taylor... And the coach even acknowledged this, that Tyrod Taylor is going to be getting some first-team reps in practice and maybe getting a little bit longer look than you would expect for a guy who's kind of had a career as a journeyman, to put it mildly. But why is that such a bad thing? Is it really the worst thing in the world? Like, if Tyrod Taylor gets reps with the ones during practice... What is so catastrophic about that? And more importantly, how is it viewed as an indictment on Daniel Jones? Have we played any games yet? You're not judging the preseason game last week against New England, are you? Because I think it goes a hell of a lot deeper than that. I mean, if you're going to tell me on week one in Tennessee that Tyrod Taylor, if they have a package for him that he's going to get some snaps and Daniel Jones is going to have to come on the field and they're going to do this you know, stupid thing they do in college football where you know he plays one series, the other guy plays the other series – Then we can have a conversation. But nobody is indicating that. And I like what Brian Dayball said. Brian Dayball said that he wants to get Tyron Taylor some work with the ones. Why? To keep him fresh and to keep him ready. And he said he's not even going to specify to Tyrod when he's getting those reps. And the way that Brian Dayball said it, he said, I learned from a real good coach, and he's probably mentioning Bill Belichick, because he worked for him. He also worked for Nick Saban, too, so it could be either one of those guys. But he said he learned from that coach that you never tell the backup quarterback when they're getting reps. You know why you don't do that? Because you want to catch them off guard. You want to make it somewhat of a surprise, because more often than not, when is the backup quarterback getting into the game? You don't plan it. The starting quarterback goes down nine times out of ten, and then he's got to get in the game. I think it's great. Saquon Barkley, hoping for a career resurgence this year, maybe trying to mimic that rookie season success. He's on his last chance, by the way, with this Giants team, something to prove. He was asked what he thinks of Tyrod Taylor. One thing I learned about Tyrod, uh, this might sound so weird, but he smelled good, man. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I'll, tell you, like, I'll
1: tell you what. Like I tell, him, I, know, that, I tell him, I know. I tell him all the time. Like we joke around and say he's the smoothest <laughs> man in football. But
0: like, no matter what, like before practice, after practice, before workout, after workout, like he don't tell me his secret. Like he won't let me know what he's putting on. But he's a smooth cat, and uh, I think it's obviously he's a competitor. He's a veteran. He's a great quarterback. I feel like you know that's someone that DJ can, can lean on too. And he's just been a great teammate ever since he's been. So now we got to the bottom of it. Now we know why Tyron Taylor keeps getting signed by all these different teams and why he's so coveted. It's his odor. Got nothing to do with football. It's the odor. Apparently he smells great. Before practice, after practice, during practice, right? It's like he's a florist. I keep coming back to this with Daniel Jones, too, and I know he's got a lot to prove this year. And the jury is still out on him. Look, I've said it many times. I'm not going to. If I had to bet my life, is Daniel Jones going to be the quarterback for the Giants in 2023, whatever year we're in? I say no. I'll keep saying it the entire season. The week one, 2023 starting quarterback for the New York football Giants is not on this roster presently. But John Maher, remember what he said during the offseason the Giants did everything possible. Everything they possibly could to screw up Daniel Jones over the years. Took ownership for it, as he should. You know, you think about Jones here. He's going into his fourth year. Four offensive coordinators. Third head coach he's on to already in four years. Think about that. What type of quarterback is expected to have success and to grow and to develop with that type of turnover? Boomer Esiason, when he was the Jet quarterback, he had three coaches in three years. He went from Bruce Coslett to Pete Carroll to Rich Cotites. Think about that. The trifecta. Except Boomer was a veteran. You know, he could go with the punches. Daniel Jones is still a guy who's still trying to figure this thing out. He's trying to learn the quarterback position in the National Football League. Trying to get a handle on that. And with that type of turnover, that doesn't lend credence to a guy who you think is going to go out there and have a big productive season and be sticking around for a while. At least not in my mind. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. We'll get some calls rolling up here. And we'll get into some umpiring shenanigans to begin the 9 o'clock hour. Dan Grosso with you. It's the Dan Grasso Show, 9870 SPN. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Mets and Braves all even at two apiece going to the sixth inning. Mark Canna with a two-run jack off of Max Fried in the fifth to tie this baby up. So DeGrom's got it back even after having that little bit of a hiccup in the third inning, giving up a couple of uh, base hits, which drove home two runs. But now we're back even going to the sixth inning as the Mets trying to get that four-game series split with the Braves and to jump back up to five-and-a-half in the National League East. Yankees not as fortunate right now in the Bronx. They're trailing the Blue Jays 6-2, this one in the top half of the sixth inning. A rough second for Frankie Montas, giving up five runs. Vlad Jr. with a three-run blast. That was the big knock for Toronto there. So the Yanks having to play catch up here. Mets trying to see where things stand uh, after fighting back and at least getting this thing even. You know, I mentioned a little bit earlier in the show, and then we got sidetracked with some other things. There's something going on right now in the city, like at this moment, that I don't feel necessarily great about or I wouldn't feel great about if he was on my team. Over at Rucker, Donovan Mitchell's here. And he's out there playing. Like, he's not watching. He's not observing. He's playing. And I know that he's not the only pro that comes back and competes in the summertime and has some fun down there and whatnot. But just you think about how valuable these guys are and how important they are and their worth. Like, if I was Danny Ainge, if I was, you know, the owner of the Utah Jazz, I know Dwayne Wade's got, like, a small piece of the Jazz. You know, if I was any of those guys, I forgot the the, the majority owner's name. It's not important. But all this trade speculation, specifically with Mitchell, and you've had trade conversations with the Knicks, other clubs, about maybe moving this guy eventually. What were to happen if he goes out there and suffers some freakish injury playing at Rucker? You know what's going to happen? He has no trade value anymore. Nobody's going to acquire him or give up anything to acquire a guy who might be damaged goods. So, like, for the life of me, all these guys and, you know, a lot of these athletes nowadays, they have clauses written into their contracts about what they can and what they cannot do. You know, you can't, you know, do these type of dangerous things which could lead to an injury. Like, you best believe the garbage with Fernando Tatis out in San Diego where he's, like, fallen off of a motorcycle now twice, and the motorcycle accident is the primary reason why he hasn't played yet this year, and now he's got the 80-game suspension on top of it. But like these teams are starting to include in these contracts like things that the athletes are prohibited from doing away from the field because you're no good to them if you're injured. They're paying you a pretty, pretty penny to go produce as a professional athlete. And if you're injured, all that stuff goes poof, and you're no good to anybody, at least not the ones that are paying you all your money. <laughs> So you're going to get paid regardless, but you're not helping the team, so they can't feel all that good about that. I don't know. I don't know. 800 Let's say hi to Matt in Queens. He's up next here on Dan Grosso's show at eight seven ESPN. Matt, how are you?
1: Hey, Dan. How you doing? If you remember good. last night, we discussed the comment about uh, Eli not being a pimple on Marino's ass. So let me just—I oh, said a bad word.
0: Yeah, Matt, come on, clean you, like, it up. It's a family show, will you? Come you're on. You're right. You're
1: right. You're right. You're right. Apologize. Let me just give you their play. Let me just give you their playoff stats. Yes. Marino, 32 TDs, 24 INTs in 18 games. Passer rating 77.1. Eli, 18 TDs, nine interceptions in 12 games. Passer rating 87.4. And you got to remember. Eli is a two-time Brady Belichick killer mm-hmm. when they were eighteen and zero, and a two-time Super Bowl MVP. Now, the, the discussion isn't whether Marino is the better quarterback. He is. He has the better yeah. stats overall. The discussion is whether Eli is a pimple on his butt or not. That's what I'm talking about.
0: Matt, I, I, here's the thing, and I thank you for the phone call. I appreciate it. You get back to us here. I, I'm sorry. I need to you know wake everybody up there. Matt essentially just went onto the internet and grabbed statistics, which any one of us with working Wi-Fi would be able to stockpile. A doy. You know? Like, anybody has access to those statistics. We know what happened in the playoffs. We don't have to go back and sit there and crunch. Like, this isn't an accounting class. It's not an analytics course. It's not statistics 101. Right? Right? If you're going to sit here and tell me that Eli Manning had more postseason success than Dan Marino did in their respective careers as a quarterback, you're right. We all watch the games. Eli Manning has those pictures of him on the podium hoisting that big shiny trophy twice. Eli Manning got to go to Disney World twice, free of charge. I'm going to Disney World. Dan Marino had to buy his way into Disney World. I think he could afford it, but he had to pay. And I don't even think he had fast pass. Like he didn't, he, you know, I think he still had to wait on the lines because he never won a Super Bowl. But Eli Manning's not as good a quarterback as Dan Marino. That's the, that's the only exercise in the point we were trying to make last night. That's all. But Eli's a really good quarterback. Eli, as I said last night, I'll repeat it again for anybody that might have been offended because I know that a lot of Giant fans who wear their Giant pajamas even in the summertime are sitting there listening to the radio having a you know bowl of popcorn, listening to their favorite radio program. And they probably were hurt when I said that Dan Marino was better than Eli Manning. But all I'm saying is, is that Eli Manning is the best quarterback in New York football Giants history. How about that? I don't know if I can pay him any greater compliment than that. And I think the world of Phil Sims. Thank the world of Phil Simms. Phil Simms was really, really, really good. But Eli's the best quarterback the Giants ever had. And saying that he's not as good as an all-time, all-time great in Dan Marino, despite the fact that one guy's got two Super Bowls and the other guy doesn't, I don't think that's being insulting. Because if Eli Manning was sitting right next to me right now, and I said, Eli, come on, tell me the truth. Are you better than Dan Marino? He'd be like, oh, of course not. He knows. He's not better than his brother either. He might be better than Dan Marino's brother. I don't know if he has one, or I don't even know if he plays football. He might be better than him, but he's not better than Dan. But Eli's really, really, really good. And a lot of people in the national media think that Eli's not even Hall of Fame worthy. I do. He should be in the Hall of Fame, and guess what? There's only a handful of human beings in the 56-year history of the Super Bowl who are multiple Super Bowl MVPs. Eli's one of those five. The other ones are all in the Hall of Fame, and Tom Brady's going to be in the Hall of Fame as well. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN.